Okay, and and we're back because we've done this before, haven't we? Yes, yes. <laughs> many, many moons ago. Yeah, that was like seven or eight years ago. And, uh, you know, we did, what, I think half a dozen or so together. And I did another another couple uh, on my own of these podcast things. And it was it was a lot of fun. And then, uh, you know, we just got busy with, uh, with some other stuff, eh? Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, and, and back then I really, I'll be honest, I didn't, I didn't really get podcasts. Uh, you know, they were sort of, you know, that was the very genesis, I think, of, of podcasting and I still hadn't wrapped my head around them, but now I'm super addicted to podcasts and listen to them all the time. Yeah. And I'd been a fan for a long time of podcasts, but there really wasn't so much like we were saying the other day on visual astronomy. So, so this is going to be the actual astronomy podcast. Yes. (laughs) And it's March 29th, 2020. And, uh, so yeah, like last week when, when we spoke and you kind of pitched the idea of kind of starting something up again, I, I thought that was, uh, that was pretty good tongue in cheek. I guess, I guess the other title we could have gone with maybe is something like safety undercuts (laughs) or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that would work too. <laughs> so that's that's sort of a, a long time joke, I think, on cloudy nights that so many people hate the safety undercuts on uh, on their their eyepieces. So, so what is this podcast gonna be on, Shane? What are we gonna do? Well, it's going to be all about actual observing, you know, with your eyes, getting out under some dark skies, and uh, looking through a telescope and. Maybe only looking at one object the whole night, maybe looking at a whole bunch, um, but that's what we'll focus on. And, you know, that encompasses an awful lot of topics. Um, it's not really just looking through the telescope. It's about gear. It's about, you know, how do you prepare for a session? Where do you go? Uh, there's a lot of things that we can uh, that we can cover, and I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. So visual astronomy equipment. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just what we end up talking a lot about anyway, uh, you and I as amateur astronomers. And then, um, you know, I thought it worked really well when we did it before, just, uh, when we were doing this before we, you know, it was a lot of work doing all the editing and everything like that. So personally, I think just having regular conversation, not worrying too much, uh, you know, about, about the editing side of things. So, and you've got a lot of material from your work with the astronomy club and I have a lot of material now from, from all the astronomy teaching that I've done and, and the outreach that we've done together and the writing and, uh, you know, like I know on my side, I was finding like more and more that, that those formats, uh, don't necessarily provide the, uh, the best vector for, uh, for some of the more engaging and interesting topics, you know, like there's, there's lots that uh, sort of end up on the cutting room floor, so to speak. And uh, you know, there's, there's just not an outlet for, for all this other material that we've kind of come up with over the past uh, seven or eight years. Eh? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's a lot out there and we've had a number of really interesting conversations, at least interesting to me uh, that I think other people might value from as well. Yeah. So Maybe we should uh, like introduce ourselves uh, a yeah. bit. We're both uh, amateur astronomers, and uh, Shane, maybe you just want to say a, a little bit about your your sort of credentials as an amateur astronomer, which make you a leading expert in the observing field. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, well, always had a fascination with astronomy ever since uh, I can remember. Um, 
I was seven or eight, I think, when I looked through a telescope for the first time. And uh, that was, that was uh, a Brasher telescope, a four-inch refractor, which, well, gee, I think that thing is over 110 years old now, but uh, a fantastic instrument. And my, my first object was Saturn, and I was blown away and hooked. Um, now, as the years went on, I didn't really get serious into amateur astronomy until, um, I think it was 2002. I bought my first, what I would call real telescope, um, you know, from a telescope store. It was an eight inch Skywatcher, uh, Newtonian on a Dobsonian mount. And, uh, you know, I used that thing for many, many years and I really enjoyed it. Um, I joined the local astronomy club, became active in there, uh, and have logged, <clears throat> excuse me, many, many hours under dark skies. Uh, since, uh, oh, I don't know, probably the last four or five years, I've kind of moved on from Newtonians, uh, mostly using refractor style telescopes now. Um, but I've used, uh, Cassegrain's, Maxudov's, um, quite a few different styles and apertures. Cool. Uh, yeah, I don't know. So that's a quick overview. Uh, yeah. I'm sure and we'll get into more of our, our passion and, you know, interests as we Yeah. Do. Yeah. And we're both members of the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada here uh, in Canada. And uh, you're actually, uh, both of us are past presidents of the local astronomy club. Yes. You're in Regina and uh, you're currently the editor for the club newsletter as well. Hey? Yes, I am. Yeah. We release uh, six newsletters a year. Uh, every two months and I put that together and send it out. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. So how many years have you been doing astronomy visually? Visually? Uh, I would say 18 now. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Good stuff. So um, I'm Chris and I've been uh, the past observing chair for the uh, National RASC and uh, past president of the Astronomy Club and I'm a current uh, contributing author to the Observer's Handbook um, an observing columnist. I write the visual observing column for the Journal of the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada. I'm the instructor for volunteer outreach and education through the University of Regina's Lifelong Learning Center. And for the past 10 years, actually, Shane and I have been doing um, public outreach and education at the Grasslands National Park with uh, a small number of our friends. So, and that's kind of you know, really, I think what, what binds you and I so closely together is, is all the dark skies that, uh, that we've enjoyed. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got, you've got a few different interests, like, uh, you've got some interest in astrophotography and dark sky observing and backyard. You have a backyard observatory. You have one of the, one of the pod domes in your backyard, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I've had that now for, I think, six years in the backyard. And wow, has that ever increased the amount of time uh, that I spend at the eyepiece uh, looking through a telescope? You know, the convenience of just lifting the roof on the observatory and uh, away you go. The mount is permanently stored out there. It just saves having to haul things back and forth in and out of the house. Um, but you know, another benefit of that thing, which I didn't really realize at the time, and, and it only became apparent as I used it. Um, and this is something that anybody who lives on the prairies can relate to. It's the constant breeze slash wind that never leaves us. Mm. And the observatory uh, just makes the observing session so much more comfortable by keeping the wind off of you, no matter what direction it's coming from. 
Yeah. You know, when I, when I first moved out here, like, and it's, and it's been clear and we'll talk about the astronomy we've been doing very soon. But when I first moved out here, I would, I would call my friends back East and I'd be like, man, it's clear here all the time. Um, but for the wind, often you can't observe. And, and a, and a friend of mine said, finally, like, it's like the wind is your cloud almost like it can yeah. really, you know, I was out this morning and, and it was really nice, but I could only do half an hour and, and sub-zero temperatures, like it was uh, below freezing and uh, 20, 25 kilometer an hour wind. I mean, after 30 or 40 minutes of that, you're like, okay, like I'm ready to go to go in. But typically, uh, you know, at East where I'm from, you know, half an hour, 40 minutes uh, at single negative digits, you know, you, usually you can do a couple hours, no problem. So, yeah. So did, now we have both uh, been chatting recently and we both were actually out doing astronomy uh, separately, of course, um, these days because of the uh, all the pandemic uh, concerns. So, but uh, you got out last night, I think, as well to do some astronomy. Yeah, yeah, I went out in the backyard uh, to catch a little bit of the moon. Um, now, by the time it was dark enough to really observe the moon, uh, and the way my house and backyard are positioned, I only had about an hour of actual observing time uh, available. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I think your house faces the same. Like your your front faces west. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah that is I, correct. Yeah. I've only been there a couple times, so I was just trying to remember. Um, yeah, mine's the same. So what I did is I actually set up on my front uh, my front walkway. So now one of the things is that we have we have some pretty uh, odd interests maybe in the astronomy gear that we use. We like to use uh, a lot of small telescopes and. Uh, maybe a little bit, a uh, little bit different. So, what were you observing with, uh, as far as the telescope goes, last night? Well, not only was it small, but it's it's quite old, um, which is you know another one of my fascinations in astronomy is using some older gear because there's some real gems out there. Uh, so, what I was using last night was a 50 millimeter refractor that has a focal length of 540 millimeters, so about an f10, uh, and it's a Zeiss Teleminer. Um, okay. And, you know, for, for folks that aren't necessarily familiar with apertures, um, just to put it into context, usually the finder on your telescope will be 50 millimeters, n- not your telescope. <laughs> so 50 millimeters is quite small. I thought it was, I thought it was larger. I thought it was 63 millimeters for some reason, but it's just 50, is it? That's the telemeter. Oh. The telemeter is 63 and then the teleminer uh, is the 50 millimeter. And, oh, and so, so was that the telescope you wrote me about? Like when you texted last night and you wrote, you yeah. said, you're, how, what was the power you're using? It was some sort of ridiculous <laughs> power. Yeah. Yeah. I got it up to 192 times. Uh, so I had a 2.8 millimeter orthoscopic yeah. eyepiece that I put in there. Um, and I just couldn't believe it. The, the quality of the view did not break down at all. Yeah. Um, the, it, of course, it, it did get a little dimmer, which is what happens when you increase your magnifications. But uh, I was shocked at how how nice it was. And, hmm. uh, you know, I just it, I started with low power as usual, kind of worked my way up the scale. And uh, probably when I got around the 10 millimeter focal length of eyepieces, um, I was expecting the image to start to you know, get a little mushy, Mm. Uh, but it just didn't, it kept taking the power and um, I was just ecstatic. So this, this is a Zeiss Teleminer 50 millimeter F10, eh? 
Yeah, yeah. So this telescope, um, I think this was produced in the 70s, I want to say. Okay. And it was distributed to schools across Germany, but it wasn't a fully built telescope. Uh, all that was uh, distributed was the lens cell. So, you know, the, the, the glass lens inside a, a metal cell. Um, and then a little eyepiece holder or a, a diagonal holder, and that was it. And the intent of this was to put it into schools so that uh, teachers could run exercises on how to build telescopes and kind of work this into their astronomy programs. Um, so kind of an interesting history, but you can still find these things available on eBay, uh, mm. you know, cloudy nights in the classified ads, um, and even Astromart, uh, you know, periodically has them. And people have adapted, um, you know, some modern focusers um, and tubes that really make them uh, a delight to use. Hmm. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. So last night I was out as well. Yeah. Um, taking, taking a look at a few things with my with my F10 little refractor, which which really seems to overwhelm yours because it's a giant Takahashi 60Q. <laughs> oh, huge. <laughs> but one of the advantages, I suppose, with uh, with this, which is, I, I suppose, in many ways, although they've been making them for a number of years, um, modern telescope with, uh, with with the ability that, uh, well, you can go and, and like I had a customized uh, two inch focuser made for it by Feather Touch. So um, I can use those those two inch eyepieces and and one and a quarters and uh, anything else, anything else I so choose. But uh so I was looking at uh, the moon and uh, in Venus, and I took a look at the Pleiades, and I took a look at uh, Orion's sword, um, and I haven't played around with it as much in the in the uh, sixty millimeter f ten configuration because the Takahashi, for those who aren't familiar, is uh, uh, the sixty Q anyway is is a sort of a bit of an oddball telescope because you can use it as a 60 millimeter f 5.9 or f6 um, as a 355 uh, millimeter focal length telescope or you can use it in an f10 uh, 600 millimeter focal length format um, so you kind of get the the best of both worlds so often when i'm going to dark sites i'm just using it as the f6 model and then uh, what you do is you unthread a uh, central section in the tube um, uh, or thread it in in this case to to make a, to make it an F10, uh, and it's like uh, basically it just looks like a white tube section, and it's got a series of uh, I guess they're they're focal extenders or something like that, and uh, it increases the magnification by uh, 1.7 magnification, uh, but it seems to work way better than a than a Barlow, and I like the fact that it reduces the futz factor. As you know, I I have a passion against Barlows. I I don't use them. And uh, I just find that they just get in the way. Just you don't need that many eyepieces to observe. And I, I like the fact that this kind of makes it a little bit more uh, more of a purist experience. So, yeah, so yeah, that, that telescope is uh, is phenomenal. I love the versatility of it. Uh, the, the views are second to none. And maybe I'll just chime in a little bit on that Barlow comment that you made, and just share uh, an observing story about Barlows. Um, I always had one in my kit. Uh, just because uh, there were times where I really wanted some higher power, particularly for planetary viewing. And um, uh, this was a two years ago. I was looking at Jupiter and I was uh, borrowing my Leica Ashafirk uh, zoom. 
And I forget what focal length I reached, but uh, it got mushy, got really soft. And I figured, you know, I kind of reached the limit of seeing that night. And then uh, I thought, you know what, I'll, I'll try my 2.5 times uh, Teleview PowerMate uh, to replace my two times uh, Teleview Barlow that I had in there. And all of a sudden, it was like what I thought was bad seeing disappeared. Yeah. And it really brought some awareness to me about the impact Barlows can have on your optical system. Everything I ever read said a, a good quality Barlow does not get in the way of the view. You won't even know it's there. Yeah. Well, you know, that night, not true. You know, Teleview Barlows are fantastic. Um, but it, for whatever reason, maybe it was just the combination of telescope, diagonal, eyepiece, but it just didn't work very well. Yeah. And as a result, I just don't use Barlow's anymore for that factor as well as the futz factor that you referenced. Yeah. Like I remember when you had the 2.5 and after we used it uh, on a different occasion, I kind of thought I might get one just because I did find it gave, um, like did get out of the way and that's great. But boy, I, I really think that, you know, you can really get by with three or four eyepieces. I mean, I have a ton of eyepieces, <laughs> so it's kind of, um, you know, a bit hypocritical for me to say that, but, you know, for the, for the most part, like when I travel, I take two or three eyepieces and when we're going to go do a whole weekend, I might throw another eyepiece or two. And then I have all kinds of specialty eyepieces, but I mean, honestly, I should probably sell a lot of my eyepieces. <laughs> I have all these uh, beautiful Pentax XWs and, and I, I only use a couple of them really. Um, it is nice to have the extra ones. Like last night I was, I was using a 4.7 millimeter ultra wide and I decided it was just a little bit too much, too much power for me. So I went and grabbed the seven XW and I was thinking, Oh, like if I had a Barlow, I could take the 10 and borrow that. So, but you know, and I have a lot of this stuff, but uh, you know, even, even right there at my house where it steps away, I just don't even mess around with too many eyepieces. I'm, I'm just enjoying the observing really. But uh, the one problem with the Takahashi 60Q that I've had is, because of the uh, lightness and portability and ease of use, um, I keep, uh, as you know, keep pondering uh, getting that upgrade to the 76 DCU. <laughs> because yes. I just think, oh, for that extra pound of weight. Uh, but man, it's a slippery slope because if I go for the 76 for that extra pound, um, then for like an extra pound and a half, you can go for something like a Takahashi 100 uh, DC. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and now you're, you're, you know, you might as well just go to the, uh, to the new hundred, uh, DZ, you know, and, and spend all your money that you have yeah, left yeah. in the world. Um, yeah. so, you know, quickly this, this, uh, you know, relatively expensive upgrade just, just becomes screamingly out of control. And I really try to try to resist those temptations. But. Well, you know, on that topic, um, I, I kind of believe like an 80 millimeter class refractor at around F12 is one of the ultimate observing telescopes. Um, obviously it won't be wide field, but the um, crispness of the field um, and then your ability to, you know, use some magnification, um, you know, it, it just makes it an outstanding telescope. So I've been reading a lot about that FC uh, 76, the Takahashi yeah. uh, using the uh, 1.7 extender. Yeah, because I have that already. So yeah. it's, it's really tempting. <laughs> but, but I've read a number of people that say they prefer that setup over 
the FC 100 series. Pick, yeah. pick your pick your flavor. So I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I mean, I've heard that it's just like a whole different level, and and I could see it. Like, so kind of to get back to the observing last night, like I was looking yeah. at, uh, I was looking at Venus, and and I think that the the extender because I think there's I forget how many elements. It's at least, of course, two, but I think it, it may even be uh, one or two more than that. Um, but I I did notice like as it was cooling, you know, I could definitely see. Uh, quite a quite a big violet blur on uh, on venus which of course settled down but one thing i find using that combination with the 60 and i don't know whether it's just because 60 has such limited light grasp and i haven't really done as much astronomy on planets with uh, with the 60 as i have done deep sky with the 60 and of course my my five inch apocrymon um but uh yeah like i find it almost yeah, it almost has like a muted green to everything, like this just very faint uh, greenness to it. So I think that what the 76 does, it probably just sort of takes that little bit of remnant um, color uh, and just just takes it away. But uh, but yeah, did you make any interesting observations last night when you were when you were taking taking a look at things? Um, well, other yeah, than. 192 power in a field. <laughs> that's, that's, that's interesting, I guess, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, um, so the, the earth shine on the moon through the telescope was quite neat last night. I was trying to see, cause, cause you could, you could definitely pick out the darker regions versus some of the brighter regions. Um, and I was just trying to see how much of that, of those areas I could identify, you know, cause mm. it was not in full light. Uh, so that was kind of neat. And, you know, I always like looking along the Terminator. So the Terminator is the, you know, the area of the moon when it's not a full moon. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the, the point where it transitions from sort of shadow to light. And uh, I always like looking for little points of light kind of in the darkness, like right mm-hmm. along the Terminator. And um, right in the middle, I, oh, gee, I forget the crater. But there is, a, you know, three points of light that extended into... Uh, the dark area. So, you know, those three points of light would probably be some raised areas of the moon, um, whether it was crater walls or some mountain range. Um, and I'm always fascinated by that, just the the topography that you can see from Earth. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah, I took a look at the moon. I, you know, I was using, I think, uh, 20 or so power for a while. And then I put my 4.7 in and you know, I found that the seeing and the scope cooling, it was, it was a bit unsteady, but it did settle out after a while. I, I took a look at the Pleiades uh, for a while because I haven't really done any deep sky observing with it in the F10 format. I've done loads in the F6 format. Um, and it's surprising, you know, and especially from the city, you know, it's nice to have that smaller exit people anyway. Um, but I was looking at the Pleiades and it was like really sharp right to the edge like everything was so, so sharp in, in the little 60 operating at F10. It's kind of, it kind of really surprised me because as you know, I'm a real wide field junkie. And yes. uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of, though I was using like 84 and 82 degree eyepieces. So, you know, I'm still getting some pretty decent wide fields and I did take uh, a 60 millimeter uh, telescope and uh, get a two inch custom focuser built by feather touch for it. So I'm not, I'm not sacrificing the wide fields, uh, you know, like, like you are with, with a Zeiss. Does that Zeiss even take uh, one and a quarter eyepieces or is it like 0.96? 
Yeah, it's one and a quarter. It oh, has wow. a modern helical yeah. focuser on it. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's no problem to to put those in. Cool. But I but I was using 0.965 orthos. <laughs> oh. So it was like looking through a straw. Um, yeah. But but um, you know, I had about I think which one was it now? The I think it was a 12 and a half millimeter ortho. Um I still was able to fit the entire moon in that field of view, but just barely. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So I did make a bit of an interesting observation last night. Though. Yeah. Um, so I'd been, you know, and, and uh, we're both uh, big fans and readers and, and other rarely contributors to the Clyde and Eights online web forum. Um, you know, I, I, I seldom post in there. Um, and when I do, I'm usually wrong. No. Um, but uh <laughs> But I do, I do enjoy it quite a bit. But I was reading a lot recently about these uh, uh, these few observers who'd been doing drawings of the uh, clouds on Venus, which I'd kind of thought, kind of sort of thought I'd seen before. And so, like last night when I was out, I kind of let the scope cool down for for a good period of time, and then. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, yeah, I can say that I'm definitely seeing at least uh, whatever it is they're seeing, you know, and. Um, I definitely noticed, um, you know, I, I sort of took note. I didn't do a sketch as, you know, I'm, you know, trying to get a driven mount. I'm just a, an LDAS user and uh, I'd like to do some more drawing uh, as far as the planets go, like I've done with the deep sky objects. But uh, I, I noticed that there was this really bright, um, this really bright spot towards the, uh, towards the top and I'm using a refractor with the mirror diagonal. So it's mirror reverse, but I noticed that, you know, definitely there was this bright section, um, you know, and I took note of some of the other features. And then when I went online and kind of looked at people that were doing recent drawings, um, you know, which I hadn't seen yet, uh, I did notice that they were also drawing this, this, well, I didn't draw yet, but, uh, they had drawn this, this bright spot, uh, in amongst these sort of dark shadowy features, which, which I also noted. So I was like, yeah, well, like, Whatever they're seeing, if, if it's some sort of optical illusion, I'm, I'm definitely just as disillusioned as the next person or whatever you say. Um, so I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah, yeah, that is a really neat observation. Um, I'm just trying to find some observing notes here. Um, so quite a few years ago, I would say five or six years ago, I had my Skywatcher 120 millimeter ED refractor out looking at Venus. And um, similar, similar experience where like I was able, or at least I thought I was seeing some different um, kind of, uh, in a way, like brightness variations that kind of appeared like Venetian clouds to me. Um, so what was interesting about this observation is uh, my brother uh, was with me that evening. He's not an astronomer. He's looked through a telescope maybe 10 times in his life. So I asked him, you know, he was looking at Venus and I asked him what he saw without telling him what I saw. And he said the same thing, that he was yeah. able to see this variation. Um, so I did post it to uh, Cloudy Nights and that's what I was looking for. I can't find it right now. But there was an interesting discussion that ensued on Cloudy Nights about the ability to see the clouds, you know, cloud variations on Venus. And some people said, yeah, I don't think that's possible visually. But then a few others uh, said, well, I think I have. And um, yeah, that's yeah, an interesting observation. Yeah, well, definitely the observations that have been posted. Um, there, there's been two or three people anyway that, that are posting. One person's over in the UK using a 100 
uh, Takahashi 100 DC, um, which of course that that's of great interest. Um, and yeah, definitely like what they were drawing, you know, I'm seeing on a, on a smaller scale. So did you happen to get up uh, this morning and, and take a look as, as well, because we have the, uh, the three planets, Jupiter, Mars, and Saturn coming up in the morning sky. And this is uh, a fantastic trifecta. Yeah, it is. And unfortunately I, I didn't, I, I really should have. I, I didn't think about it when I went to bed. Um, how about yourself? Were you, Yes, you were looking at it. So yeah, yeah, I decided that uh, you know I had some good views, um, you know, last night, and I thought, hey, I'm not going to set an alarm or anything. But typically, I tend to wake up around five o'clock in the morning. Anyway, I thought, you know what? Instead of just laying in bed or or you know whatever, usually I just lay in bed and try to go back to sleep, but uh, often don't. I thought I'm I'm going to get up uh, and I'm going to observe. So I did wake up at about five, and I knew that it was. Um, you know, they're going to start to get fairly high now at about 530 in the morning. So I went and set the telescope up and, uh, you know, let it cool down and uh, took a took a pretty good view of Jupiter and Mars and Saturn. Boy, Mars is small still. <laughs> is it? Were, were you able to see any of the surface features? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I guess maybe like the polar hood or or possibly the polar cap although it seemed kind of large at first i thought it was just like my focus or i wasn't centered over the eyepiece but um yeah i definitely uh yeah i and i gotta get a tracking mount as well so when i'm set up out front i'm on my uh cement walk okay and it's pretty stable there in fact i put i put uh two of the legs off the walk and one of them's on like mulch and the other one's on like a isolated rock so there's almost no vibration although i'm still standing um for now anyway till i get a slightly different mount but on in out back i'm just set up on my deck so i get a little bit more vibration out there and there was a fair bit of wind uh this morning there wasn't at first but kind of as the sun starts to come up here, uh, and today is actually a fairly windy day, um, you know, it kind of starts even like vibrating the deck and all this kind of stuff. So I was kind of a little bit hampered by that. But I do get a decent view of Jupiter there. Like I said, I really want to be able to get set up in such a way that I can be uh, that I can be seated and uh, and maybe do some maybe do some sketching. So, and Saturn looked, looked amazing as always. They could definitely uh, make it some good definition uh, on the rings, but we did have some high cloud this morning. And of course, because they are so low, uh, you tend to get uh, a little bit more impact by the cloud uh, when they're on the horizon like that. So what, how, how, like, how was the angle of the rings for Saturn? Uh, yeah. I mean, there, there there's, I, I don't know what the, you know, what the inclination of them is or anything like that, but yeah, I mean, they're, you can really see them and, uh, the, the it seems like they're more tilted, uh, down so that, uh, you can actually, you know, get a really good view of the rings, um, versus when they're edge on or getting close to edge on. So it must be that part of the, of the orbit. I haven't been observing it uh, yet this year. This is my, I think this is, this is my first real good look at it where I kind of said, Hey, I'm going to get up and, and go and take a look. But, uh, but right now I'm just kind of in equipment tweaking mode and, uh, you know, we'll, uh, we'll get things settled out soon enough and, and maybe I'll start, start producing some planetary sketches would be, uh, would be my goal. Yeah, that would be great. I'm, I'm really excited for the planetary season coming, coming this, uh, this year, you know, with 
with Jupiter, Saturn, and Mars kind of all in the sky around the same time. Uh, and during the warmer months, um, I'm looking forward to some really good sessions. Yeah, it should be should be pretty good. So what are you thinking of using for uh, for these planetary sessions? Well, I I kind of have an interest in in seeing what the small apertures are capable of. Um, so far, every time I use these smaller apertures, I'm, I'm really surprised by what you're able to see. Um, so I think I'm going to go back and forth between large and small just to just to do those comparisons. Um, so I'll be using my 120 millimeter Skywatcher ED refractor. Um, and then I'll probably be using some of my older uh, vintage telescopes that are on the smaller aperture side. So the Zeiss Telemeter, which, um, or the telemeter, uh, is 63 millimeter aperture with a focal length of 840 millimeters. Um, so that one, and then also my, my old Takahashi, uh, the TS-65, uh, which is a 65 millimeter aperture uh, with a thousand millimeter focal length. So it's quite a long one. Wow. Um, but in, I'm really curious just to see how the views differ with, you know, uh, a, re a refractor, uh, the Skywatcher being twice the aperture of these little guys. Yeah. Once uh, we're all able to uh, be out in the world again, um, which I look forward to. Uh, it would be great to do a shootout between your TS-65 and my 60Q. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that would be really neat. Yeah, for sure. Uh, cool. Yeah, so yeah, I'm I'm fairly excited about uh, getting to do some observing. Um, I'm looking at getting some sort of tracking mount. I know I've been looking at the Vixen uh, Advanced Polaris. I've been looking at the Skywatcher AZ GTI. I've been looking at getting a Burlaback tripod. I mean... I spend more time looking at this stuff. And my problem is I don't like to spend money. You know, I, my astronomy budget is, is, uh, is relatively small. And then, uh, you know, uh, often I just enjoy the observing. And once I get out doing a bunch of observing, I just sort of forget. But I, I think it's time that I get some sort of tracking mount for, for these planets, especially since I've taken up sketching here in the past uh, five or six years. So, For sure. And, there's there's nothing like the comfort of of sitting down at the eyepiece and just observing for a long period of time without having to do anything. Yeah, um, it, it it just allows you to tease out so much more detail in your observations, particularly with the planets. But I even enjoy it for double star observing and basically anything I do in the backyard. I really enjoy you know doing it seated. Yeah, and I don't mind the deep sky as much because um, you know usually I'm using really wide field eyepieces. Um, for the most part, operating at pretty low power. If I do jump up in the power, it's just, you know, it's just for, you know, an additional observation on top of the ones I'm already making. So I'm just sort of adding to a sketch I'm already doing, or I make a really quick little one. It just doesn't seem to matter as much. But with the planets, when you're like, okay, I found it. Now I'm, you know, going from 20 power to last night I was observing with 127 power. And it's like, you're constantly nudging and, of course, with the uh, Tac 60Q, it's it's so small and light. Um, I don't mount it on my on my Takahashi uh, Teagle mount. I I mount it on a Universal Astronomics uh, Dwarf Star, which is a great little mount. It's an amazing portable mount, but um, I don't have any kind of slow motion handle or slow motion controls. Just so the very basic units. So you know, it kind of jumps a fair bit when you're using you know basically 130 power on it. Um, you know, and, and on top of that, you know, an undermounted tripod and on top of a, a deck that's getting moved around a little bit in the wind, <laughs> just like, 
you know, it starts just to get frustrating after 30 or 40 minutes. So, so yeah. Well, that about wraps it up for our first episode of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. This podcast was brought to you by Safety Undercuts because changing your eyepieces in the cold just wasn't difficult enough. Thank you for listening.